Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeehaw, y'all. Can you can you use yeehaw as a, I, as a greeting? You is that like mahalo? Can. Like mahalo. It's either a hello or a goodbye. It could be both. It's kind of ambidextrous that way. Is yeehaw ambidextrous? I don't think so. Man, it is not right-handed and left-handed at can the same time. Can we do both? Can we can we try though? Maybe we can start a new thing and we yeehaw mm-hmm. every time we see somebody and then they respond back yeehaw. I think no. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, unless you're yeehaw is kind of like on a horse. Like if you're not on a horse, I don't know that you're yeehawing. I I yeehaw all the time, bro. Do you? Do I have to be on a horse to do, do you, this? There's do no you rule ride book. horse quite often. There's no rule book about this that says there has to be a horse involved. I just man, look. I there's contextualization and then there's tryhards, <laughs> and I think that might just be crossing that line into to being a tryhard. My Honda Civic has at least 125 horses uh, under the hood. Okay, so you get 125 times. That that's you can right. Say I can say yeehaw as much as I want as long and as I'm a Civic. That's it. Yeehaw. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, there there it is. That's there our is. start. You're adapting. You're you're coming around to Texas, but it's kind of like going to California and calling everybody bra. <laughs> what's up brah right like it's like you it's fundamentally li- different no it's the same level of cringe it's like you don't have to like you really don't have to it's okay well i'm gonna try to okay <laughs> okay hey uh we're glad that you're back with us for another episode of the daily bible podcast we're in job 13 14 and 15 and uh we are also then in acts chapter 8 the last half of acts chapter 8 uh, Job, uh, yeah, we are still just in the throes in Job uh, for chapter 13, 14, and 15. Yeah, man, give me some light. Come on. Yeah, and there, I, I wish I could, and there's just not much uh, there. In fact, in chapter 13, as, as he begins, um, or continues rather, his response here, he's saying, uh, look, what you guys know, I also know, he says there in verse 2. And really what he's saying is, look, I, I, I don't, I'm not interested in talking with you guys about this anymore. I, you know who I want to talk to? I want to I speak to God about all this. Mm-hmm. Verse three, I would speak to the almighty. I desire to argue my case with God, even though he's just said, Hey, who can stand before God? Right. He's, he, he wants the shot. At least he, he wants to know he's kind of at that place of going, okay, God, just give it to me. Just lay it out. Um, and then he looks at his, his quote unquote friends. He says, you worthless physicians are, are you all? Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. Uh, reminded me uh, of, uh, of a passage that I often go to in counseling in Proverbs of Proverbs 18. Um, that is so helpful when we think about how to communicate with people. And, and uh, we, we talked a little bit about how we can uh, come alongside and, and, and console somebody who's suffering or console somebody who's, who's in sorrow like Job is and being careful not to assume that uh, this must be because you've sinned. And when you go to Proverbs 18, there's so many good precepts on how we can communicate well in this chapter where Job's instructing his friends, hey, would you guys just be quiet? Like, just be quiet and, and understand where I'm coming from here. And in, in Proverbs 18, we find verses like this in 18 two, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. We've seen his friends do that time and time and time again. They're not really understanding where Job's at, but they just want Job to understand their opinion of his circumstances. Um, 
Proverbs 18, the words of a, a man's mouth are deep waters and the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It, it, you can have good things there or you can be rash in verse six. This is what's my favorite. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a, a beating. Um, and there's just been foolish speech from the friends time and time and time again. And, and mm. the Bible instructs us on how we can use our, our words for good and helpfully. And uh, the the thing that shows up over and over again, even in Proverbs 18, is just making sure that we're understanding before we seek to be understood. And I think that's missing with Job and his friends here. Yeah. And I think you bring up such a helpful point that would be helpful to emphasize as well. And, and it's that Job is part of the wisdom literature. Yep. We're reading something uh, along with the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that helps us give understanding to the kind of life that we live. Real wisdom is not just spouting truth about God. It's applying it to the right situation at the right time. And in this case, Job is arguing with them saying, look, you guys are professing all this wise sayings and you're trying to bring healing and comfort when you're actually doing the opposite. You're, you're making this harder for me and not better. And that's because the wisdom that they spout, even though some of it's true, it's half true and it's applied wrongly. Right truth, wrong conclusions. Once more, Job would have you, and I know that to have true and godly wisdom is to apply the right truth at the right time in the right way. Mm. He asked this question that that should send shivers down the spines of, of his friends here in verse seven. He says, are you going to speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for him? In other words, Job is telling them, hey, be careful claiming to speak for God. Oh, man. So many people need to hear this. Uh, totally. On things that, that you don't know to be true, right? Uh, they're presuming to understand what God is doing in Job's life without really understanding what God is doing in Job's life. Um and, uh, and that's, that's such a dangerous place for them to be in. That's a dangerous place for anyone to be in. Um, I mean, we, the, the, the most egregious situations are that are when people come up and say, hey, God told me to tell you, right? Anytime somebody says that, if they're not quoting scripture right after that, no, then right. we've got major red flags, right? Yeah. Um, he goes on, he says, are you going to show partiality towards God? Does God need you to be a prosecuting attorney on, on his behalf? Mm. No. He's saying, just sit down. Just sit down. God can handle himself on this, and, and, and I want to address God. I want to find out what's going on here. Um, but then verse 15, Job now turns back to his confidence in God still and, and his anchor and his hope there in verse 15, that great line, though he slay me, even if he ends my life, I'm still going to hope in him. Um, we talked the last episode, I think, about uh, whether or not Job was sinning by becoming angry with God. And in Job one twenty two, he did not sin or curse God and all of these things. Here, I think we still see Job is, is holding fast to God. Job has not abandoned his faith in God. He still trusts, even though he's frustrated, even though he's angry, even though he's concerned. And yet he's confident in verse 16, this will be my salvation that the godless shall not come before him. He's still confident in his blamelessness before the Lord. Doesn't understand things, but yet there's still that faith that's abiding there. Right, and would that we have that same mentality too. Uh, one, I guess one of the lighter sides of Job, if we could try to shed some light here, is that what it teaches us is that in our suffering, it's okay to be honest with God, but to know that ultimately the deliverance is going to come from Him. Mm. And the deliverance may not look like a deliverance from the circumstance, but often a deliverance through it, mm. which is exactly what Job's going to have to go through. He's not done yet. We're still, uh, we're still in the first cycle of argumentation, and there are three. He's still at the very beginning of this. He still has a time to go, and even a time before he's restored. Job's confidence is not that he'll necessarily have everything returned to him, although, of course, you should know, at the end of the book, God does give everything back to him and more. But again, the confidence that we have is not necessarily that the suffering will end, but that he'll lead us through the suffering to the glorious end where he restores our body, makes us brand new, and deliver us from all evil and all sin eventually. Yeah. 
Yeah, in the rest of chapter 13, Job is is, is pleading still for that hearing. Uh, Call and I will answer, or let me speak and you reply to me. He, he wants to be heard by God. But still that humility in verse 23 and 24, make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face? That that Psalm 139 echo again there of, of Lord, if, the, if I've got sin, show it to me. Let me know what it is. And, uh, and just the, the weight that he feels in verse 26, you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. In other words, you keep a record of my wrongs is what Job is accusing God of here. You, you, you must just be stockpiling them and holding them all against me, which is another reminder uh, for us of, of the greatness of the gospel, that, that God doesn't do that, um, that our, our sins are as far as the east is from the west. They've been cast into the, the, the shoreless sea. They're, they're, they're no more. Uh, because of the sacrifice that we have in, in Christ. But Job feels it right now. He feels like God is just bringing up everything, and that's all he can conclude right now. It must just be that this is a compounding of all the sins that I've ever sinned because he can't point to anything specific right now in his life. Verse 14 is is kind of a, a, a discouraging chapter. Um, he, he even says at one point, he says that there's hope for a tree even. A tree is cut down, and yet it, it will experience new growth again. And he's just saying, I... I I just am, I'm hopeless. At one point, he he asked to die so that he'll be preserved from the wrath of God. Let me die so that your wrath will be spent while I'm safe in the grave. Death is better than life. And then yeah. and then bring me back. So there's there's a little hope there, but then it, the the chapter 14 ends with just crushing hopelessness again. You prevail forever against him, verse 20, and he passes. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he doesn't know it. They're brought low, and he perceives it not. He only feels pain in his own body, and he mourns only for himself. Uh, Job is is crushed still at this point. If we can make one quick observation here. If you're, if you're a counseling kind of person, you enjoy biblical counseling, or even just you're counseling yourself, you'll notice here that what we see in Job's interaction with suffering is that there are moments of sunshine and mm-hmm. happiness but he's quickly plunged back into the depths of his despair and his sorrow. So if you're dealing with somebody, or if it's you perhaps, who's struggling with difficult, um, struggling, suffering, just know that it's kind of typical to see people do this, to kind of go up and down, up and down. And it's not necessarily a, it's not necessarily failing if they go back into the depths here. It's just recognizing that the human soul is complex. It takes a lot of help to maintain that buoyancy. Mm. Ultimately, that help comes from Christ. And I think what Job does right, we should learn from. He takes all of his suffering and his struggling to God, even when he says, Lord, you're not even listening to me. I mean, have you heard that before, Pastor PJ? It feels like my prayers are going nowhere. A few yeah. times. We hear this, and the answer is keep praying, keep pressing mm-hmm. in, keep pursuing. And if Job is, is guilty of a lot of things, I think, but where he succeeds is that he keeps pressing in. He doesn't give up. He's leaning into God, even though he feels so alone and estranged. Great point. And we, we see that not just within the church, but also from the world too. The, the world wants something to hope in. The world wants something to, to hold on to. Of course. And, and they're looking for any shining light, even in the darkest of times. And, and so, you know, you, yeah, you're right. We, we see this up and down and, and we see it not only with believers, but also with unbelievers. Uh, that brings the, the end of the first cycle of speeches it ends there. And so we're about to start the next cycle of speeches in, in chapter 15, which is still part of our reading this morning. And, and it's Eliphaz who stands up once again to speak and answer Job. And uh, he kind of lights into Job here. And it, it begins to get more aggressive from his yeah, quote unquote friends. Yeah. Uh, should a wise man answer with windy knowledge, unprofitable talk, verse three, uh, are you're doing away, verse four, with the fear of God. You, you clearly don't even fear God anymore. And then sarcastically in verse seven, are you the first man who was born? And then have you listened in the counsel of God, which 
we talked about wisdom literature and some of the parallels here. Proverbs 8 talks about wisdom being present at the dawn of creation, right? That, that the Lord possessed wisdom at the outset of creation. And I mm-hmm. think that's interesting because in, in a speech lacking wisdom, you know, here he's critiquing Job and saying, hey, were you there with the, the, the counsel of God? Were you the first one? Were you brought forth before the hills like wisdom was? Mm-hmm. Proverbs 8. And then the, the irony of verse 8 there. Have you listened in to the counsel of God? That takes us all the way back to chapter one and two, right? Right. The the opening here with with the the literal counsel of God and God speaking to the the angelic forces there. Eliphaz wasn't there either, right? And so he's asking this question, but in the meantime, little does he know. Uh, but Eliphaz just he just he's merciless, uh, merciless in this. Uh, he, we see a little total depravity there in verse 14, if I can slip that in here. Uh, what is man that he can be pure or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? In other words, he's saying nobody's totally blameless before God, Job. Right. Um, and Job would agree with that probably, right? right? Totally. And, and then verses 17 onward, he basically sums it up with God punishes evil people. You're being punished. So Job, you must be an evil person. You must be a wicked individual. Um, he calls Job out and, and says, don't, don't trust in emptiness, deceiving yourself for emptiness will be your payment. Verse 31. In other words, don't be self-deceived. And I, then I think the lowest of the low comes in verse 34, where he says, for the company of the godless is barren and the fire consumes the tents of bribery. Remember what happened to Job's family, his children. Mm-hmm. He lost all of his children. And here's Eliphaz saying, oh, by the way, it's the godless people that are the barren people. Oof. I, I, I don't know how Job restrains himself at this point. Um, if I wasn't sick, right. if I didn't have boils on my body, buddy, right. oh. dude, we'd be going, we'd be going <laughs> fisticuffs. There's little to nothing to commend about what Eliphaz has to say here. I mean, his, the content and his approach and his tone, uh, is, is daggers to his friend, certainly not balm to his friend. And yet, and yet at the same time, we can also say that what Eliphaz says, what we'll just call him Eli for short, what Eli says isn't altogether untrue. And that's what makes Job so interesting and, and perplexing. It's not altogether untrue. Granted, in the grand scheme of things, the righteous will be vindicated, they're going to be exalted, and the wicked are those whom God will not <laughs> do those things for. Uh, again, for you, Christian, important as you read books like this, not to get caught up in necessarily the nuance, but to recognize uh, having true wisdom in God's world is recognizing that God is not beholden to our human calculations and formulas. Mm. Trust that God knows what he's doing. And at the end of the picture, at the end of the day, when we get to the end of this book, God's going to show up and say to Job, hey, dude, do you really have the perspective to charge me with wrong? Be careful and, and understand that you're not God. I am. Trust me. Right, right. Such a good reminder to us because, it, yeah, it's hard with Job because there's this rhythm of, Okay, speech, 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 and and it's it's good for us to keep what you just said, Pastor Rod, in mind that that really the right thing is what the how the book ends, and it's almost like Ecclesiastes in that sense, right? You spend so right. much time reading through Ecclesiastes, and you're going, okay, so what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? And you finally get it in the end, and it, it's similar with Job, and not to say that, okay, so the just fast forward our podcast until we get to the <laughs> yeah, end don't of Job, do that. but they're not even recorded yet. It's it's important for us even to be encouraged by the fact that here's God, you know, patiently bearing up with these men trying to wrap their minds around an infinite God with their finite created minds, and we we just can't do it so many times. Acts chapter eight, as we move into our New Testament reading, we get uh, the rest of the story of Philip. Uh, Yeah, the the second half, verses 26 on through verse 40. Some interesting things happen in this passage. Uh, Right off the bat, it says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
Um, it's interesting. It says an angel of the Lord, yes, not, does. not the angel of the Lord. Uh, in the Old Testament, when we find the angel of the Lord, for instance, in Second Kings chapter 1, um, it's usually what we call a Christophany. Uh, a Christophany is a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So Jesus appears as the angel of the Lord. And the reason why we think this is he has a bodily form, right? And God, the father has no form or body because God is spirit. As Jesus himself says in John four, the Holy spirit, we know to be spirit. So the only member of the Godhead with a physical appearance, it would appear would be Jesus. And so when we see Jesus show up as the angel of the Lord in the old Testament and speak as though he is God, the way that he does, if you think back, even with Abram, uh, he had that encounter as well. Um, it's, it's a, pre-incarnate form of Jesus. Jesus is there speaking with authority as the angel of the Lord. Now here it says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Commentator, words? Commentators. Thank you. Commentators are uh, are split on this about whether or not they think that this is Christ uh, giving this instruction to Philip or if they think this is just a messenger um, giving this instruction to Philip. I go with messenger all the way. I I, I would agree with you. Like I looked not even a debate. Yeah, I looked in different translations and I can't I couldn't even find any translation that says the angel of the Lord said to Philip. So I think this is yeah. I think this is just a messenger, but even that is unique, right? I mean, I, I, Pastor, I don't know about you. I've never had an angel show up and say, "Hey, I need you to go over here and do this for me." Oof. Well, there was the there was a few times. I'll save it. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in tomorrow, and maybe we'll hear it, or the next time. It'll just keep people listening. But the angel tells Philip, and again, this is because this is a unique time in the church, right? This is the the miracle validating the message here, and God is spreading His church, and God is on the move right now. And so He tells Philip, "Go down towards towards Jerusalem to Gaza to the desolate place." And and Philip goes, and here's an Ethiopian eunuch. Um, this is not Ethiopia. What we currently think of as, as Ethiopia, but probably more of what we think as, as modern day Sudan in that area. Um, and, and this Ethiopian eunuch, which was a court official was traveling with this queen and he happens to be, uh, in the chariot and he's reading as we're going to find out he's reading scripture. And it says in verse 29, again, a unique situation here, the spirit said to Philip, right? Um, and, and so here you, I think this is a result of again, being spirit filled and, and we can talk about leading of the spirit. We can talk about, um, you know, I feel like the spirit is leading me to do this. And sometimes that that's confirmed through abundance of, of wisdom from other counselors in our lives and voices in our lives. But I would probably stop short personally, Pastor Rod, of saying the spirit told me to, to go do this or told me to say this. I don't know where you stand on that. It pushes me a little bit out, outside of my comfort zone to be able to say that with authority. Well, the spirit told me to tell you. <laughs> that says exactly how he did. Now, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, yeah. I would wrestle with someone who would say that so confidently. Yeah. Unless... It's like, hey, here, here's a word that I'm sharing with you, and that word is scripture. Okay, I, would the script, would the, would the spirit ever not tell us to share scripture? I don't think so. So there's times when perhaps I could say with a good deal of confidence, spirit wants you to know this, and right. it's, a, it's a word from the scriptures. Right. But other than that, I don't know. I, I would be very reluctant. Well, the spirit tells him, hey, here's this guy, and uh, and go up to him. And so Philip does, and he goes over to join the chariot, which I, I'm curious about what that was like, because here's a chariot that's moving with some rapidity, and here comes Philip just kind of jogging up next to him. And 
They've got this interaction. What are you, what are you reading? I'm reading the Bible. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, unless somebody explains it? And it happens to be Isaiah 53. I mean, this is just, don't you wish every evangelistic encounter was teed up the way this one is? Man, it seems like it's the perfect setup period. I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever seen a situation so perfect. Right. He's reading Isaiah 53 verses seven through eight, like a sheep led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent. He opens not his mouth in humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life was taken away from the earth. And Philip says to him or the eunuch asked Philip, who's he talking about here? And Philip's like, thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. And I love verse 30, about it. 35. And this is our job too, Christians. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I like that scripture says he opened his mouth. Yeah. He wasn't totally. just standing there. Right. It's, it's not like he was like, well, um, hopefully this question will go away and I, I don't have to answer it. <laughs> he, he did what he was called to do. He was God's mouthpiece with the good news of the gospel and he preaches the gospel. The guy gets saved. He gets baptized right there. And then again, we see this miraculous event where the spirit like teleports Philip somewhere else. And then the eunuchs left there, but notice what the eunuch is doing. He went on his way rejoicing. Mm. Like he's, he's so impacted by his salvation. He's not even sitting there going, dude, this guy was with me in the chariot and he just disappeared. Like th- that's not keeping him up right now. Right. He's just stoked that he's saved. Right. So guys, y'all listening to this, this is, we need to, maybe we're not going to get teed up this way, but we need to be just as ready as Philip was to go with the gospel, to open our mouth and to preach the good news of the gospel of Christ and look for every opportunity that you can. When you've got somebody that's ripe for salvation, listen for those questions that are being asked by the, your neighbors, your coworkers, your, your boss, your, your friends, your family members. Look for those open doors to the gospel and take advantage of it when you get it and preach the gospel the way that Philip does here. So Pastor PJ, one of the things that we teach often is that scripture is clear. We call it the perspicuity of scripture. Can you help us understand then why the Ethiopian eunuch required someone to teach him something in verse 31. How can I understand this unless someone guides me? He says, uh, the watchtower and track society, the Jehovah's witnesses will also use this as a proof text for why they are necessary, uh, to bring the light of Jehovah's God. And I'm using air quotes here, Jehovah's gospel to the nations. So why did he need this? And what does that teach us about the clarity of scripture? I, I think there's a, a measure in which yes, scripture is clear. The perspicuity of scripture is, is a doctrine that we would affirm and confirm. However, there's a blindness, there's a spiritual blindness over the eyes of, of unbelievers. And that's talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, when the Apostle Paul there talks about the fact that the those who are lost have had their eyes uh, blinded. It says, our gospel is veiled as veiled to those who are perishing, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus, for Jesus sake, for God who said, and here's the the key here, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So there's a, a, a measure in which, yes, scripture is clear and those who are saved, as scripture put it, puts it elsewhere, the spiritual things are discerned by those who are spiritual. And that's not a, an elite status. That's not an elite rank. That's just simply those that are, are believers. And so scripture is clear for a believer to be able to read and understand and grow in his knowledge and, and, and understanding of God. But an unbeliever may need help understanding the scriptures because they have not yet been regenerated. And so we as as Christians can help them in that process. It's not as though he's reading this saying, hey, this is a foreign language, but there's that that spiritual discernment part that that's missing for somebody who's an 
unbeliever. Right. And, and what we could even say on top of that is all of scripture is God's scripture. It's breathed out by God. Second Timothy three sixteen seventeen. 17. It makes us wise and uh, able to reprove and rebuke and correct according to all righteousness. Uh, but that doesn't mean that every part of scripture is equally clear. So as we op- unpack scripture, uh, Isaiah 53, this is a verse that had not been fulfilled yet. Uh, this chapter was awaiting the fulfillment of the Messiah. And so Philip strategically placed at the right place at the right time with the right guy who's asking the right questions and Philip's job is to help him see what previously he wasn't able to connect because he didn't know Jesus yet. The gospel had not gone to the nations. But now we see God strategically putting the Ethiopian eunuch in this place so that the gospel could go from Mm. Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the other most parts of the world. Which is what we call progressive revelation. That's right. right. So we are, uh, yeah, great points on that. And now we have revelation in its full form, at least uh, to this point with uh, with scripture. We will have the fullness of it when we are with Christ finally and fully. But for now, we've got everything that's necessary for life and godliness contained within the pages of scripture. So that's right. um, we're thankful that you guys joined us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast, and we'll catch you again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.